0: And Dan and Julie last night, and so we kind of getting a little bit reoriented here to Round Rock and the ministry here. It's good to be here. Flew in yesterday, fly back out tomorrow. And so I'm, as your pastor said, I'm, I'm with Gospel Fellowship Association Missions, which is actually just across the street from Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. So when I was 18, I went off to BJU thinking I was going to go for four years and uh, study for the ministry, go out, be a youth pastor, live happily ever after. So what actually happened is I stayed for 46 years and including undergrad days at BJU and so my main ministry over the years has been to uh, help prepare men for ministry. So I was director of ministerial training and outreach for a number of years, or the assistant to the director when I was younger, and then in the last uh, five years or so of my ministry with BJU, I just I took an outward focus rather than being so focused on campus. I began to get out more and be with pastors and, and churches, though I'd done a lot of that over the years. And now I've stepped across the street uh, with BJ with from BJU to GFA. And GFA is an international mission agency that has around 200 active missionaries, about 300 people in the GFA mission family, including retirees and interns and volunteers and things like that. And so, I, I'm director of ministry relations for GFA. And have been on the board at GFA, I think, for a ballpark of maybe 20 years. Uh, So I'm already familiar with the ministry and used to be the church planning liaison from BJU to GFA. So we train men for the ministry and then, you know, some would plant churches and uh, through different means, but we did have a program, do still have a program that does that. So it's it's an exciting thing for me to get out and to be with churches. So as I was talking with Pastor Jeremy about the the day today, he asked if I would do something on stewardship. Now stewardship, you usually think of it when that when you say that word, you you think, okay, that's that's money, all right. But that's really not the primary direction that I'm going today. It kind of include that, but it's really a broader uh, look at the topic of stewardship from from a biblical standpoint. So here's what I want to do today. Uh, I'm looking forward to the fellowship, just uh, getting better acquainted with you all and seeing what God is doing here, enjoying some dinner together. So. Uh, what I want to do in Sunday school this morning is talk about the concept, the biblical concept of stewardship, develop it a little bit um, here and there in the New Testament. I uh, talk about the relationship of stewardship to faithfulness, because they do go hand in glove. And then, and then this morning in the in the main service, I uh, preach on essentially spiritual gifts, about our stewardship of the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. And then this afternoon, we're just going to do, it's going to be, of course, less uh, teaching and preaching. I, I think it'll end up being uh, discussion and application, and we'll have application throughout as well, but, but a little more of a look at our personal lives and how we can individually be good stewards of our, of our personal lives. And so that's That's kind of where the direction is going this morning. And so I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 as uh, just a a familiar verse. Uh, You probably have it memorized, but 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and the second verse there, Paul is talking about the privilege that he has in ministry in general. He refers to himself in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 uh, and verse 1 as as a servant of christ and a steward of the mysteries of god first corinthians 4 1 and 4 2 is a great verse just to begin with he says moreover it is required in stewards that one be found faithful it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful a man or a woman for that matter and um, and we'll read a little bit more here, and then we'll pause for prayer. He says, "But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you, or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself." Yes, I'm not justified by this. Yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. In other words, what what he's saying here is uh, he's not. I don't think he's totally discounting the concept of appropriate uh, self-inspection, self-evaluation, uh, uh, l- asking God to, to show us where, we're, where we need improvement. I don't think he's discounting that altogether because you find that uh, concept el- elsewhere where we're supposed to check our lives and we're supposed to... But, but he's saying really self-evaluation can be distorted. Most of us... Uh, probably we just go with the way our our nature is wired. We we are um, we're more we appreciate ourselves maybe more than we ought to, or we think more highly. The Scripture says than than uh, than we ought to think about ourselves. So he, he's saying even if even if I think I'm doing okay, he said actually it's not me, and and he also says in essence it's not it's not others either. Now, it it doesn't matter what other people think about us, and we have to live a life that is circumspect, and and it ought to be coming out of a life of integrity. But but actually, what really matters ultimately is what the Lord says about us. Are we being responsible, being faithful, being good stewards of all that God has entrusted us with? So, in verse 5, he says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each each one's praise will come from God. So I think we have to just be uh, reminded this morning as we begin that there's a day coming when each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the things done in the body, the scripture says. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about that. Uh, even First Peter, where we're going to be this morning, talks about, for, for pastors, how that, that day is coming. And so, there'll be an evaluation and then there'll be rewards according uh, to that which we have done. So, we just always need to live in light of that ultimate uh, divine accounting that comes. So why don't, we, uh, why don't we pause for prayer and ask the Lord's grace and help. Lord, we thank You this morning that we can come into Your presence and we can meet with Your people. We can study Your Word, we can reflect upon our lives, and we can ask, Lord, for You to show us things that we need to do better, to be more faithful at, to be more effective at. And so I ask, Lord, that You would, that you would bless our time in Your Word. We pray for any special uh, needs that are on the hearts of Your people here today, uh, heartaches, things that cannot be fully spoken or shared, or even perhaps even understood altogether. But we ask, Lord, for your special uh, working in our hearts today. We pray for the power and uh, blessing of the Holy Spirit in our teaching and preaching. We pray, Lord, that you might cleanse each of us from sin and that you would uh, work out by the Holy Spirit's help the development of Christ-likeness in our hearts and lives. And we pray that as a result of your working in our hearts today that you might receive glory and honor and that that other people may be benefited uh, by the, the, the lives that we are attempting to live by Your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, the word steward is an interesting word. It, it is, um, it's a Greek word that is the, right there in your handout. It says, key concept, if you're looking for an English transliteration of the word, it is oikonomos. Oikonomos is the Greek word. And I've given you some references where that word is found. We've just looked at one of those references in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. And we're going to look at some passages there in Luke's gospel where the word or the concept is used. And then in the morning service, I'm going to actually preach on 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 where it talks about being good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So there, if you if you if you listen to the to the word oikonomos, I don't know if you can hear it coming through, but there's an there's an actual English word that that is derived from that word. Can you can you figure that one out? Can you hear it? Oikonomos, economy, economics, and so we we use the word uh, speaking of of finances and financial management and. You have microeconomics. You have macroeconomics. Maybe you study that uh, at times about the, the big picture of uh, how particularly capitalism works and finance, and that's a huge thing, of course, in our culture. But if you, if you bring it down to more of a local level, uh, then we're thinking about actually management, okay? The management of resources, which can include money, but it includes other things that we're going to be talking about. So back in the New Testament days, you had, uh, like you have today, you have massive landowners, landowners who had a massive estate, and it it was either they 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 didn't want to manage it uh, directly, or they had enough wherewithal where they could hire a manager, and and say, okay, I want you to take good care of this, and they would entrust it to the steward or the manager, the the oikonomos, and so Jesus builds off of that concept when he starts talking about the kingdom of God and the work of the, the spiritual kingdom of God on, on earth and how we are to be uh, good managers. You find that then that a, a steward is a household manager. We'll come back to that. Uh, the pastor is called a manager as well. It's called a steward. Uh, Titus chapter 1 and verse 7 actually uses the word uh, there in the King James, the bishop. The pastor is, is a bishop. That word it kind of means things in religion today that it didn't mean in New Testament times. It's essentially a local church overseer. And so uh, a pastor or multiple pastors in a, in a local congregation then are stewards, okay? And they are, they are overseers. They're the steward of God. And then in a broader sense, all believers are to be stewards. First uh, Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says that we are to be, all of us, Good stewards of the manifold, the varied expressions of the grace of God, and particularly in our responsibilities with our spiritual gifts. And so I ask a question. I'm in the third paragraph under Key Concept. Then, what is the standard by which the pastor's or the people's management uh, is to be judged? We are to be judged then by a standard, according to 1 Corinthians 4 2, of Faithfulness, faithfulness. So what then does it, does it mean to be faithful? And so that's what we're going to explore a little bit. All right, let's go to Roman numeral chapter 2. The standard for stewardship then, I say, is faithfulness. So I begin with how this is found in the, the character of our God. And this is, this is actually a whole, uh, I, I, being a Southern boy, I say a whole nother, I don't know if nother is a word, but it's, we say sometimes it's a whole nother thing, all right? I was born in Georgia, raised in Alabama, schooled in South Carolina, pastored in North Carolina, youth pastored in Tennessee, and my mom grew up in Florida, all right? So I still have relatives in Florida. So you know what part of the country I'm from. So that little, a little Southern expressions are gonna slip out once in a while, all right? So I don't think I'm a, a, t- a total hick but I can revert back pretty quickly, all right. So uh, it's, uh, it's it's just how I'm wired. If you could, I was telling I think Jeremy yesterday that that I have an uncle that is. Uh, if you've ever heard of what a Georgia cracker is, that's like a native Georgia person, right out of the soil of Georgia. I have I have uh, an uncle that is a Florida cracker, and he he is a great Christian, wonderful man, but he has. If, I just wish everyone in, the, in America could hear my uncle talk. it's, it's, uh, it's a whole different uh, it's a whole different way of speaking uh, and so and so that's just uh, how we're wired. We have this in our in our roots. So God God is faithful in an infinitely comprehensive and perfect way. Uh, we, we read that he is He is faithful to His Word. He's a covenant-keeping God. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and and verse 9 speaks that He he keeps His covenant to the generations. Uh, He is repeatedly declared to be faithful. Faithful uh, is He who has called us to the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, You're familiar probably with the verse that says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Faithful is He that calleth you who will also do it. To me, that's a salvation verse. The God who has called us to Himself is going to keep His promise and He's ultimately going to save us. Uh, I, think of, um, I think of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. I'm speaking here on assurance of salvation when I say these things. Uh, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. We're not saved because we keep something. We are saved because God has promised to save those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so and so God, God is very, very faithful, perfectly faithful to keep his word. He is He is, um, I I like the illustration of this you see in the paragraph of Abraham at the end uh, of the very last reference there in that paragraph. Romans chapter 4 verse 20 and 21 says of of Abraham's faith that um, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to to perform. That's actually the illustration of saving faith, a clear illustration of saving faith in in the book of Romans. So we are saved in the the same way that Abraham was. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Uh, He didn't know all about the, the coming of Jesus Christ but he he believed in the promise of God to send an heir that would ultimately be the Redeemer, as we know, and that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by putting our faith in Christ, and when we, when we believe in Jesus Christ, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He rose again, that He rose from the dead, and it, then, then we have the promise that we too will be declared righteous in God's sight uh, because of the faith that we have put in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness shows up in our, in our daily lives. God helps us to overcome temptation. Faithful is, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1013, says there has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able will make a way to escape. Even, even when we slip and fall and sin, we, we can claim God's faithfulness. He doesn't abandon us but rather if we come to Him and we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So those are just a few of the the ways in which uh, God's faithfulness shows up. So I like to put it this way. We are to be dependable. We are to be trustworthy. We are to be faithful. But that quality of dependability faithfulness does not does not come naturally from within our own human character it's not just toughing it out it it actually it's a result of the example of god's faithfulness god's faithfulness to us begets it gives rise to our faithfulness to him and while we certainly don't, don't even start to approach uh, His faithfulness, nevertheless, it's, a, it's kind of a character transformation. You believe that God will keep His Word, and you and I then want to be people who will keep our Word, will keep the promises that we have made, who we, to be people who can be relied upon. So, so faithfulness is an attribute of God. Uh, B, uh, A, that was A. Remember two A. And then B is that faithfulness is the standard. Uh, obviously, we've, we were already saying that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, that God counted him faithful, putting him into the ministry. Paul urged Timothy to invest his life in the training of faithful men. The things that you have heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so, the man of God, the pastor, the preacher, the evangelist, whoever it may be, um, must, in his life and character, have a pattern of faithfulness, of dependability, of keeping w- words and promises. But that's not just for one person. That actually is for all of us. All of us who know the Lord should be people characterized by, um, by faithfulness. So I like to say in this last paragraph, there's really a lot, of, uh, a lot, of, a lot in this last paragraph on this first page here. Uh, faithful people are sorely needed today. God wants men and women of integrity. Integrity is part of faithfulness. Integrity means that which is sound and whole. To have integrity means we are living in obedience to the Lord. It means we are, uh, we are, we are people that can be relied upon. It means that, that we have sound morals and a consistent Christian life, spiritual life. We ought to be people of ethics. Ethics is that, that field of study, that field that has to do with, with right and wrong. I like to put it like this when we talk about ethics. The Spirit of God will always lead us to do the right, the ethical, the moral thing. The Spirit of God never leads people to do something that is uh, out of control. Of, uh, out of sync, I put it, with what the clear Word of God teaches. The Holy Spirit gave us the Word of God. He was the means by which the Scripture uh, came forth. He moved holy men of old. And so the result was they wrote a perfect book. And so the precepts and teachings of the Word of God then are, are perfect, and the Spirit of God living within our heart as believers, He's, he's going to lead us to do the right the moral, moral and ethical thing. Now, sometimes in life, uh, we get in what we might call a, an ethical dilemma. Like, what do we do? We've got some conflicting things. Conflict, maybe we perceive it to be conflicting responsibilities. Uh, we, have, we have people telling us to do things that we don't, we're not comfortable doing. Maybe at work. Uh, maybe there's something comes up in the, in the community or the neighborhood or the family where you, you feel like you're this in a jam and you're not sure what to do. That, then what you do, you pray, you seek the word, you reflect, uh, uh, you ask for God's help. And, and frankly, at times like that, you, you go seek counsel. You go seek the counsel of someone that you believe is wise. You might, you might seek the counsel of several people. You have to watch it in ethical dilemmas or in counseling because sometimes we like to go to somebody that's gonna reinforce we know they're going to say whatever we say and they're going to back us and what you kind of need sometimes is somebody that will actually not not do that who will throw another light on it be nice to you but say well i think you need to consider this and this and this so so we need help sometimes in in that arena of good judgment and uh, i have i have friends like that i have i have uh, several uh, slightly older preacher friends that have been my closest friends for for many years and if I need counsel, uh, I, I will go to them. When I was younger, uh, particularly younger, still have this to some extent. I had some older men, men old enough to be my my dad, and and they were right there at B J U, most of them, and I could go to them, and and get counsel from them about whatever I felt like I needed input. And and to this day, uh, I highly, highly value, even though I'm I'm. I'm on Medicare now, okay? I mean, I'm at that point, I just got into my little card in my wallet here a few months ago, but, but I still view the, the wisdom of older men in a high way, uh, in, a, in a way which I, I invite their input into my life. You might, you might wanna have some, a person or two or three in your life where you say, I always want you to feel free to speak into my life. And if you see something not right, you see my spirit, is not right, something that you have a question about, uh, feel free to talk to me. I want your input in, in my life. We, we might even call that a, a certain type of accountability. So God wants men and women of in, integrity, ethics, and industry. And by industry, I mean hardworking. Uh, I mean we, we show up when we're supposed to show up. We do what we're supposed to do. People can count on us. We're industrious. We're not lazy people. And, and who will carry out the assigned task to task whatever it is with energy and this this comes to me from colossians chapter 3 where where paul says to the slaves of that day, the servants he says whatever you do do heartily as unto the lord so we should put our heart into whatever we're doing there are times when i have to do things that you know maybe like you're the same way there's like i'm not <laughs> I, you know, I had five things to do today. This would be number five. Or this would be number six or seven. Uh, I'd really rather not. But, but it's part of my responsibility. So what I have to do is I have to get my heart into whatever it is I'm doing. So I, do, I should be doing things with energy, with enthusiasm, and with endurance. And we're going to talk about that idea here in a minute. We talk about staying with, sometimes even staying with a, a challenging responsibility in our lives, with endurance. He desires that we invest all of our God-given resources to make, to make gain for God. And you gotta be, I'm going to be a little careful about when I'm... I am do not misunderstand what I'm saying here, okay? We talk about being productive in one of the parables that we look at in Luke. But not, we're not in this for ourselves. We're not trying to get rich. We're not trying to uh, uh, be famous. We're just trying to turn a spiritual prophet for the kingdom and glory of God, as I say here. And then he, so he wants us to be reliable, dependable, trustworthy, and faithful. There's a saying that uh, Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, and it's, uh, some of his sayings are over the, the, the chalkboards in the classrooms at BJU. And this one is an easy one to remember. The greatest ability is dependability. And that pretty well summarizes it. You know, because if we cannot be relied upon, then, then whatever else we, we may have talents and gifts at doing, uh, they're not tied to dependability, then, then we're going to come up short. All right, I've been rattling on here for a little while. Do you have any, any comments or questions? Uh, anything here, Brother Bob? Yeah, there you go. Hmm. Okay, good, good, uh, good sobering thought there. <laughs> so, how are we doing on that? Yeah, Why is it? yeah, yeah. Why is it? You asking me? It can be any number of things, but um, uh, it's not right. It's not, it's not so the way it the ought to be. Would be like, how did they discern whether they were Christian? I don't know, like, what was the qualification for receiving the Christian title? Yeah. Was it self, um, like, identification as a Christian? Like, I identify as a Christian? Mm -hmm. Or is it, were they, you know, validated to, you know, based off of their statement of faith that they would be classified as Christian? Are you tying this to what he's saying there? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it could be, I mean, I don't know, to the best of our ability to ascertain an authentic Christian to the best of our ability, mm-hmm. you know, what would that number look like? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, if someone's going to the statistics, we don't, I mean, unless we understand the criteria by which they're judging it, we may get a false conclusion. Yeah, well, we have to, I don't know, that's kind of another, that's a realm of something to think about. So